We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. How you doing, Jack? Joe Harris, insert greatest sign, LeBron James. <laughs> he did play really well, and he knocked down his threes, and more importantly, he knocked down his free throws. Yes, Not something did. LeBron can say. Ooh, take, I mean, LeBron James is my favorite player of all time, but um, he certainly wasn't great today, and, and because of that, the Nets got the W. Yes, 111-106, Nets picked a W, two straight, you know, a big win, obviously, for the playoff race because Orlando did win tonight, Miami did lose, obviously still a half a game behind Detroit. So before we break down the game, quick reminder, check us out, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OGGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But Jack, what do you want to get into first? Well, let's go through the first half, Nick. 44-43, to sloppy game, sort of 90s basketball with that sort of score. Um, Nets obviously hold the lead at the half. How was it watching it? Um, What went right, what went wrong? You know, I thought the Nets actually didn't play completely terrible in the first half. It was just a lot of, like, they weren't making shots. They shot, I believe, under 40% and, like, 20% from three. And then they kind of picked it up in the second half. There was a couple sloppy turnovers, but... Overall, I don't think the play was as bad as it seemed score-wise. They were just missing a lot of open shots. Obviously, some plays they could have picked up a little bit more. And it did help they were playing the Lakers, who missed their fair share of open shots. But I thought the defense was okay, other than defending JaVale McGee. Yeah, um, JaVale McGee, a near, near 30-20 night from him. Um, but at the same, yeah, I know, it's not necessarily something you say every day of the week. But um, we had our two boys putting up double-doubles of their own, so... Was JaVale more effective? Was, was you know, did Jared Allen and Ed Davis lack some physicality? What was it in, in, in that sort of terms with the center battle? I think it was a combination of both. And I see a lot of Nets fans on Twitter going after Jared Allen. I don't think it's completely on him because if you're going to ask Jared Allen to help a ton on defense, you know, guys getting beat off picks or driving to the rim, someone else is going to have to get his back 
and kind of box out JaVale McGee or not let him get so close to the rim. When you let a guy with McGee's size get next to the rim like he did, he's either going to throw it down or lay it in. Like this guy is super long, seven foot plus probably. And then it's also something that was Jared Allen, Ed Davis not being physical enough. But McGee just had a ton of size in them, not only in the height department, but in the weight department. Yeah, he's a solid body, and you know he's had his time in, in Golden State. He's been a very good player early in the season. You know, LeBron James himself was telling him as a defensive player of the year candidate. Obviously, you know, time has changed rapidly since then. Um, but a little tidbit, Nick, Tamari uh, Carroll starting. Yes, he did start. I think this was a lot of the LeBron matchup. Damari was on him almost the entire game, it seemed like. There was different parts where Dinwiddie and Joe Harris ended up on him, but it felt like a lot of Damari. I think that's the main reason. I'm not 100% sure. I wouldn't be surprised if he carried over with this lineup. So, obviously, D'Lo, Joe Harris, Damari, uh, Rodions, and Jared Allen, which I don't mind that lineup. I like it as well. You know, uh, there's been plenty of fans who have interacted with us on some of the live shows advocating for Damari and Carroll to be inserted as well. Will, who's been on the show, has been an advocate of that too. Um, I think that we'll see Damari starting uh, at points throughout the, the playoffs if we make it. And I this think this is a playoff starting lineup right here. Yeah, uh, I mean, we'll we'll lock it in and we'll certainly revisit that if the Nets make it. I'm still saying if because it's not set in stone. We still have an incredibly tough run. Um, but other than that, Nick, this... The general rotation, the, the nine-man rotation, no Rondé, uh, no Shabazz, despite the fact that he's healthy, no Trevion. Do you think, um, were you okay with that? Do you think that there's any reason behind it? Um, what are your thoughts? I think Kenny has shown in the past that he really wants to go to the nine-man rotation. Sometimes he'll go to 10. You know, I think maybe matchup-wise, you might see Rondé or Trevion Graham out there, depending on you know, the opposing team. They have a really dominant offensive player that no one else really matches up. We've kind of talked about this in the past. Rondé brings a different skill set at his size and athleticism, and Trevion Graham, <clears throat> excuse me, has done you know a good job on guys like Kawhi Leonard. So you could maybe bring in Trevion or Rondé in certain situations. I don't really see Shabazz getting much burn unless there's an injury or the Nets are trying to rest somebody. Because yeah, if they I mean, were going to play him, they probably would have played him tonight. Yep. I mean, it's it ends up being that way in a sense. And harking back to Joe Harris, Nick, obviously we, I could spend <laughs> a, a three million podcasts talking about Joe Harris, but um, six of eight from three, obviously, you know, hitting his free throws. In terms of the threes, he's been a little bit down in that sort of department. Do you, were the Lakers defense a little more lax on him tonight? Yeah, I think so. I think the Lakers defense was a little bit more lax. And also he was finding space and getting open looks. I think the Nets also did a better job of getting him more involved. It also felt like he kind of turned it up a little bit after he got smacked in the eye. So maybe Joe had a little extra edge to him too. Yeah, I mean, it certainly saw that. And it's nice to see all over Twitter right now, DeAngelo Russell with Bleach Report, Sports Nation, all these sort of places doing photoshops of him. Um, we'll have to obviously chat about him, but um, the poetic nature of, of him uh, uh, essentially eliminating the playoffs along with the Brooklyn Nets, um, the Lakers out of playoff contention. Um, what are your thoughts on that general narrative, I guess, Nick, before we get to Delo's game specifically? This is not the popular opinion, but I honestly could care less. <laughs> like, I, okay. you know, like the Lakers have been knocked out of the playoffs for a couple of weeks now. You know what I mean? Like they're officially eliminated, but they're putting LeBron on minute restrictions. They've been arresting him. You know, Brandon Ingram's out. Josh Hart sat tonight. Lonzo Ball's out. Like they're not trying to really make the playoffs. So I just felt like it was kind of overblown. Obviously, it's a little plus for D'Angelo, I guess. And maybe the Nets organization getting a player like that. But it's not like this was the final punch that took them out of the playoffs. They've been out of the hunt for a minute. Yeah, I mean, losing to the Phoenix Suns, losing to Memphis Grizzlies. Getting probably. blocked by Mario Hazonia. Like, no offense, LeBron. I love LeBron. But, like, when he got blocked by Hazonia at the end of the game, like, I was like, okay, the Lakers don't even want to win games. This Should is a game, though, I felt like they wanted to actually win. 
Should Hazonia be the MVP by the fact that he blocked LeBron James and he also dunked on Giannis? Does, like, he just have to do something against James Harden and that just gives him automatically the MVP? I know this is... We've, we've spoken about Hazonia before on this podcast, uh, but it's just funny just, just thinking about... like Hazonia. It's crazy. Like, Hazonia, wow. like, had, he, did, he got DMPs this season and then all of a sudden yeah. he has probably two of the most memorable plays of the season. Like, obviously, I don't think the Antetokounmpo dunk was, like, actually getting, like, dunked on because I think it was, like... Antetokounmpo was trying to like chase him down but the LeBron yeah. thing that was just that was crazy like I had to like double check the video like six times to make sure there wasn't a foul it was clean as hell too yeah I'd, I'd be interested to hear I'm going to request a topic on the next NBA outlet about LeBron James's see his form post-injury I just want to hear a little bit about like your thoughts Corey thoughts maybe I mean, I'll I've... give you a quick thought on tonight I mean I this was probably like one of the worst games I saw from LeBron like energy wise like he didn't really have a lot of spring to him obviously it looked like he might have possibly got injured at the end he just like wasn't high energy he was kind of careless like he really didn't care like I mean eight turnovers says that too it certainly does. And, and I think that you have LeBron James 5% more engaged. They could probably almost quite easily get this win. LeBron James is that transcendent in the way that he plays. And, you know, he still nearly puts up a triple-double even when he is playing his worst uh, version of his form. And despite his age, he is still uh, a top-five NBA player no, no matter what. But um, our boy Flatbush in Atlantic, we tweeted out the gift, the gift to end all gifts with LeBron James. Oh, not LeBron James. D'Angelo Russell silencing the crowd with the shush. What were your thoughts on that moment from um, the wonderfully beautiful D'Angelo Russell? <laughs> I know, Jackie, loving him lately. Um, you know, obviously, building off the confidence he had in Sacramento, I think he's getting more confident in what he can do. And he does have these stretches in games. It seems like it happens a lot in the third quarter or the second half in general where he just gets really hot. And that run in the third quarter I thought was big. It gave the Nets a little bit of a cushion. They kind of kept that cushion most of the way. I know the Lakers took a slight lead for a bit, but that was important. I think for the Nets to get this W. Yeah, it really was. And I guess insane. Now let's delve into D'Angelo Russell's game uh, with a little more detail. With Joe Harris, you know, led the team in plus minus, plus 12 for him, plus 10 for Joe Harris. I look at the single game samples a little bit, and I think that this is somewhat reflective of, despite the fact 8 of 20 from the field, you know, 40%, not too bad. 4 of 11 from 3, pretty good. Uh, a free throw, a 13 assists, a 6 turnovers, obviously, including that um, that late one, which was a, a, a little bit careless, sort of reminded me a little bit of the um, Pelicans game. But uh, overall, uh, a really nice game from D'Angelo Russell. Again, I think he's third straight double-double. Yeah, third straight double-double. Obviously, the other ones were a little bit bigger numbers, but I thought he was solid tonight as a floor general. I felt like he did a really good job playing point guard, especially when the Lakers were throwing some double teams off of double teams at him off of picks. So I thought he did a good job with that. A couple times he did get careless with the ball. There was like two back-to-back -back turnovers, and like you mentioned, there was two in the fourth quarter as well. You know, clean that up. I felt like he got into his emotions or a little bit into that heat check when he kind of pulled up from three. Two of the three-point attempts, though, I think he was trying to get contact. One of them, he definitely should have got free throws. The other one was probably a maybe but you know overall I thought it was another good game and just really took control and set the team up and I said this to you off air like he easily probably could have had 16 assists if the Nets could knock down shots in the first half how was um his driving game we saw that um, on full display part of it was you know the really poor uh, Sacramento Kings defense but uh, was he able to get to the rim a little bit obviously one of two free throws he doesn't really draw a lot there but um, did he still have uh, an aggressive mentality so to speak yeah, he got to the rim a couple times. He wasn't finishing quite as well as Sacramento, but some of that is JaVale McGee and Tyson Chandler in there. So having two big bodies is obviously going to throw you off. But I felt like he did a little bit, but not as much as Sacramento. And I thought, you know, like you said, Sacramento's defense was pretty bad, so he was just kind of taking advantage. Also, the Lakers did a good job of giving him a solid amount of attention. They didn't want him to have a huge game.
Yeah, there was some moments um, when I did uh, was able to see a little bit of the game uh, towards the end where Joe Harris was bringing up the ball and just allowing you know DeAndre Russell to have some rest, uh, so to speak, and then and playing him off screens a little bit, which was uh, kind of cool in, in a sense. But Nick, do you want to speak? Uh, I know we've spoke about this off air in terms of the, the amount of coverage that D'Lo got this during this week. Do you want to talk about that now or do you want to talk about it after we sort of delve into, say, Spencer Dinwiddie's game at Davis, Carol Silvert still struggles? Do you want to focus on the game or do we want to go to D'Lo? Yeah, let's just dive into D'Lo right now because I think it's kind of like a, a body of work type of thing like we talked about in the last show. Like, he keeps getting better in, like, a game where he wasn't necessarily amazing shooting. You know, 8-20 is not terrible, but it's not great. I Like I said, I felt like he did a really good job as a passer. and He's throwing elite passes on a regular basis. Like, he's throwing no-look passes to the corner, standing on the other wing. Like these aren't easy passes and it's just like a flick of the wrist. And I don't think that he's getting enough, you know, appreciate appreciation for his passing game. I think the speed he throws his passes at as well um, is something that got, really goes underrated. Um, our, our, our Trey Young, Corey's boy. Uh, shout out to, <laughs> to Corey. Hopefully, he's listening to this one. Um, is getting a lot of praise for his passing, and you know he is a tremendous player his, himself. Jansen Russell gets all this kudos as a scorer, um, I think, and 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 warranted so because he's a great shot maker, and that seems to be the thing. But it, it's almost like his his passing goes uh, under the radar, like you sort of mentioned, Nick. And listening to a podcast today, I told you off air that what some of these general NBA uh, media folk who don't watch the Nets as much as we do, aren't giving him that credit and, and they aren't even calling him, and I quote, he, he's like a, not an elite distributor. And I think he is. I think it's quite clear. If you watch the Angelo Russell play game after game, he's having these high assist numbers. He's making the right passes. Yes, the turnovers weren't great tonight, but he's not necessarily forcing the issue like he used to. And I think that you have to recognize that growth rather than just being like, this is what he doesn't do well and sort of buying into the narrative of what his archetype was and now he's just like, oh, he still doesn't get the free throw line. That's just it. It, it, it just seems to me um, it really, it, it, it lacks real um, real deep thinking to sort of just go, this is what he is. This is what he does. He's making shots now. Cool. Um, and I, I, I compare him to similar to a guy like Mike Conley. I, I compare him to him off the end. And both guys went to the same uh, college. And I think both guys have similar games, but I think D'Angelo has a little more star potential. But Mike Conley is generally quite revered as a player. Um, and in due to his history, hasn't been an all-star, but is a, a, a really great player, has gotten paid as well. Um, well, I do think Dilo has potential to be a better player, more impactful player, has been a really good clutch time player as well. So um, if we're talking about, you know, guys who are similar in aspects, why does one guy get all this love as this sort of NBA darling, underrated, blah, blah, blah. Whereas D'Angelo Russell, 22, 23-year-old budding star is so, it's so hyperbolic one end of the of the spectrum or the other. There's no real in-between from a guy like, oh yeah, I like D'Angelo Russell. It's either like, you love him or he's a snitch, I hate him. Yeah, it's like the narrative on him is carried over so much on something that, let's be honest, does not really matter about basketball. And if you really dig deep in the story, it's not as bad as everyone make this made it seem. So, like, I just feel like some of the narrative is just giving him a negative perspective that he doesn't deserve. And then I think it also is some of the stands, like, you know, D'Lo's amazing and they kind of overhype him a little bit and then other people are so sour on him. It's like there's no in-between. It's just kind of like respect his game, appreciate what he's doing, and pick up on some of the small details. Like, I think one thing that he's done a better job this year and doesn't really get much credit for, he's not an amazing defender, but he's definitely put more effort in on that side of the floor. Like, that's yeah. something that I think he's picked up on. And some of, like, the hustle plays he's willing to make. He's not perfect yet, but he's only 23. And I think that's an area where he's improving and people are just like, oh, you know, he's starting to hit shots that he didn't hit the last two years. 
And that was another thing that Ben Golliver on his podcast said. He's just a bad defender. But he just he's in the right places a lot of the time. And it leads to the fact that these sort of games where he gets three, four steals. You know, I think in the Kings game, he had four steals as well. He, he's in the right spots and he is trying. He's pushing through those screens. He has size about him. Uh, I, don't, I think that he can look at James Harden as a model to where he can be uh, as a defender in certain situations where he you know, focuses on being really elite. You know, he has strength. He needs to fight through screens, obviously, those sort of things. They're going to attack him. Um, he's never going to be elite in that area. But I think, yeah, the narrative around that. I will say, though, despite the fact that, you know, he has shown some aggression and is driving, I don't think he's elite there. I, I think that it's yeah. silly to sort of mention that. Um, I think it's 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 to, to show the fact that, you know, we're not completely biased about D'Lo. I think that the Kings game was sort of an outlier because that was so bad. And D'Lo can only drive on his to his left. He's not James Harden. He doesn't have the dexterity. He's not Kyrie Irving. He doesn't have the de- de- the dexterity to finish with either hand around the rim. But if he he's he's such good at the floater game, and if he at least has the aggressive mentality, it opens up the rest of the floor for him. So uh, it, it's a thing that I, I would like him to work in the offseason. But for right now, uh, the growth that he has shown has been uh, absolutely enormous. Yeah, I think developing a right hand something he definitely could work on. There's a play tonight where LeBron got the chase down block. If he went up with the right hand, LeBron wouldn't have been able to block it because he'd have to go through the rim. So that's an area where he just needs to get more comfortable, especially when teams start defending him like that. And like you said, he's never going to be an elite athlete that has that major burst. He's going to have to be crafty and kind of outsmart you to get to the rim. But with that floater, it kind of makes up for some of it and his ability to hit contested mid-range shots. So it's just kind of playing it. And I think it's like a perfect fire and ice combo when you have a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie who is super quick and can get to the rim with his burst. And speaking of Nick, nice little transition there. Spencer Dibbity, 9 of 12 from the free throw. Obviously, um, he's just a master at driving. Uh, 4 of 14 in the field, not amazing to a 7 from 3, but uh, the dude, you know, didn't what he knows how to drive. Yeah, first half was not great, but third quarter, fourth quarter, he started to pick it up. And when he's getting in those isolation situations, when he's feeling really confident, he can almost take anybody to the rim. And he's starting to do a great job. I think we didn't see this as much last year, but this year, a lot of the scoop layup where he's getting the ball to the backboard before the bay can get the block on it. And I think that's really important. I just love having Dinwiddie back to like attacking and the free throws are just such a great thing when the offense gets stagnant or not knocking down shots. So if he can get his confidence 100%, I'm feeling a lot better about the Nets. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of DeAndre Russell, I'm obviously on Twitter as we speak, Nicholas, um, via CJ Lawrence. At 23, DeAndre Russell has become the youngest NBA player ever in the 500 assists, 200 threes club. The other guys in that are Steph Harden, Dame Lowey, Westbrook and Tim Hardaway Sr. Um, some decent company there. Yeah, you know, Jack, it's not good because his efficiency numbers aren't high enough. Oh. You know, that's what someone's going to say out there. I can almost guarantee it. But, you know, like he's doing things. It's like I think Richard Jefferson said this during the broadcast. It's like every game we're talking about something and the names being mentioned along D'Angelo Russell are all-stars or like all-time greats. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it wasn't his best game tonight. Um, and and it's he's still putting up these effic- this this efficient these efficient numbers he's still impacting the game in so many different ways which is what we sort of harked back early in the season obviously uh, i'd love for to get dealer on the buzz and see if he's listening to us <laughs> um but at the same time he's just been awesome and uh, another quote from kenny uh, after the game talking about um d'angelo russell he's joe cool he's just got a cool demeanor about him confidence cool i don't know what that is i know i don't have it i'm a nervous guy he's just <laughs> cool doesn't get phased. he's one of those guys who really enjoys the moment 
Joe Cool. Um, I, I would have thought he'd be t- talking about Joe Harris, but Joe Cool's a nice nickname. Joe Cool makes me think Joe Johnson, who was just never showed emotion, just always cool into the situation, hit big shots. I think D'Angelo's like that. I will say tonight, though, I thought that there was a little bit of emotion and wanted to beat the Lakers. That's why he took some bad shots in the fourth quarter. But usually I felt like one one thing this year, he's been a lot more under control and his decision-making's been a lot better. Yeah, and that's one thing, you know, he – He'll make mistakes, but he'll make up for it, you know, with some hustle plays on the defensive end. You know, I think there's been a few times this season where we've been surprised at his defense in terms of blocking and in transition, those sort of things. But um, to go on that negative sort of aspect, Nick, Karis LeVert, 18 minutes, didn't make a field goal, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, a steal and a block. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Karis's struggles? Jack, you're going to make me talk about this? No. <laughs> um, no, it's honestly really tough. It's, it's a struggle watching Karis because – it's like he's mentally just is unsure of himself. You know, he doesn't necessarily know what his role is. He's not very confident in his body. You know, he's looked good, but the burst isn't quite there, especially getting past some guys, and he's not getting to the rim quite as quick or not getting up quite as quick. I know he's he's looked good out there, but some of the moments you can tell physically he's not feeling necessarily 100%. And like I said, mentally, not only is it like coming back from major injury, but it's coming back and playing in a role that is 100 times different than what you did to start the season. You know, he was a high-usage guy, having the ball in his hands a lot. Now he's not asked to quite do as much. And, that, you know, teams are really uh, slacking off him on the three-point line. So I think the biggest factor for him is just knocking down some threes. The one positive I'll say is he did have three assists, so his passing inside is still there. And I know we've talked about this, probably one of his best skills. Yeah, I mean, it's – and I think that as long as he – I think that next season is going to be a, a really fun time to sort of watch Carlos Levert, see if he can get back to that early season form. I think he just needs a mental reset of sorts, but um, it, it's tough watching your boy struggle in that sort of way. But um, at the same time, he's still a, a rotation player in this sort of Nets lineup right now. Um, and if he has to take a backseat role where he's playing 15, 20 minutes a night, I think it could be effective. And if it means narrowing that role, changing his mentality, you know, this is um, Dinwiddie and Delo's team. And it is right now. You know, we see them close games together. And that chemistry um, is something that has been really positive in, in the latter parts of this season. So uh, there are some positives to take out of it because, it, you know, it, it means that, you know, you don't necessarily have to worry about integrating Karras in that sort of sense. Um, he can still play maybe in the starting lineup with Delo, but then, you know, you stagger the minutes like you've sort of to- spoken about about Nick, but um, hopefully we can see one or two games in this final stretch from Carol Silver. Even if there's some big defensive plays, a couple of big shots here and there, that gives him that little bit of confidence, um, that that external sort of uh, motivation so that he can keep going um, because we know what he can do. Um, and, and that's probably the most frustrating thing for him more than any other. When you know how good you are and you know what you can put up and you're not playing at a certain level, you know, it's similar with any sort of guy, you know, Gordon Haywood as well. You know, the guy is an all-star and is a you know top 30 guy, top 20 guy on, on his day. And Carol Silvert is a, a most, was the most approved candidate. So I think that's the most frustrating thing. You know, your mind not keeping up with your body, your body not keeping up with your mind. Um, but we'll see how it all plays out. It reminds me a lot of last year with D'Angelo Russell. And I think you might have brought this up in the past, or maybe it was Will, but just like coming into the situation, and that's kind of how it's felt. Like there's been good moments, there's been good games, and there's been other games that have just been really bad, like especially offensively and shooting, and the rhythm just isn't quite there. And I think, like you said, it's going to take the offseason to probably get him back to 100% unless, you know, there's a blowout in one of these games and he's able to get up a ton of shots and he can get hot with his jump shot. Because I think if he gets his jumper hot, he'll start to get some more of that confidence back. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now, Nick, we have the Blazers, the Sixers, the Celtics, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Bucks, the Pacers, and the Heat. Are the Nets going to win another game this season? 
I think so. I think so. Uh, we talked about this before. Um, not only do the Nets, their next two games are within a span of seven days. So well rested. I mean, two days before each game where it's a rare situation where you can practice and actually scout for the other team. You know, a lot of times you're on a back to back or you're traveling so much, you don't necessarily get the practice time or the a film room time to look at the other team as much as you can in a two day span like this. And also they'll get some rest before the playoffs, which I think is really big. And then we talked about the fact that maybe Milwaukee, maybe Toronto might be resting guys when the Nets play them, you know, the first week of April. And now that a lot of these teams have, you know, solidified their spot in the playoffs, the Bucks, the Pacers as well, they've solidified their spot tonight, I believe, which Corey would be happy about. Corey's getting some love on this podcast. He doesn't get a lot of love from me, but he should be happy <laughs> about that. Um, but, and I, and I think I'm, for those, for the Bucks, Pacers and Heat game, I'm going to be in New York for those ones. So maybe we could do a live buzz of some sort. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we definitely are going to do a live buzz when they make the playoffs that I'm 100% confident about. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know about you. And uh, to give you a little bit more confidence, Jack, before, you know, this is halftime, I was doing a little research. Charlotte's next three games, Boston, Toronto, San Antonio. Not a good look for a team that hasn't really been playing well. Orlando has to play Philly, Miami, and Detroit. Miami has to play Washington, Orlando, and Dallas. Detroit has to play Portland, Portland, Golden State, Denver. And then their fourth game is, I believe, against Orlando. So a lot of these teams are doing damage against each other. So it's like a couple win-win situations for the Nets, which is really big when it comes down to a stretch like this. It's going to be crucial. Obviously, we'll be keeping you know, in Detroit, Miami, specifically, and to a lesser extent, Orlando. And I think Charlotte have lost it, like you spoke I about. I think Charlotte's done, yeah. Uh, well, like you spoke about Dylan Jackson on the outlet, it's always nice to hear his voice again, even when he is depressed about Kemba Walker and, <laughs> and the rest of that franchise. Um, any final thoughts, Nick? No, you know, I thought, you know, like we kind of hinted at at the beginning, this wasn't necessarily a pretty game. The Nets weren't amazing. There wasn't, you know, a stretch where you're like, wow, this team is next level. You know, they fought and they clawed. They started to hit some shots. They pulled off the W. Guys need to play better probably for the next game against Portland and Philadelphia. But there was some promise. And I think anytime you get a win on the road, it's a positive. Win is a win, and we needed this one more than any other. All right, that wraps it up. As always, check us out iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.